And if we take care of our employees, they take care of us. And we want to make sure in all of our factories at Fender, that experience that employees have right when they cross the threshold of the factory, they're feeling the love, they're feeling the connection to their history. And I mean, I think that's where culture starts is what are you communicating to your employees from the moment that they walk into the room? Welcome to Work Inspired, a podcast where leaders in business, commercial real estate, technology, and design come together to discuss change, challenge, and opportunity in today's professional world. This show is powered by BOS, a leader in commercial interiors. The team of workplace experts at BOS is equipped and ready to help you navigate the path to your next workspace. Whether you're a seasoned leader or just starting out in your career, you're going to learn something new today. So sit back, Relax, enjoy, and get ready to work inspired. On this podcast, we talk to many different types of professionals in many different industries at all different types of organizations. And some of my favorite conversations are when we get to talk to people who are in uh, positions where their work is something they're incredibly passionate about. And today we've got a guest that fits that bill. Uh, Ed McGee is the EVP of operations at Fender. He's also the co-president of the Fender Play Foundation. And today we're going to be talking about an incredible work culture leading through change and some of the exciting things the Fender organization is doing to create an incredible client and customer experience. Let's get started. Ed, thank you so much for being here today. I've been really looking forward to this conversation. Uh, in our planning call, call, I could tell you were uh, an interesting guy working for a very interesting company. So really, really excited uh, to talk to you today about what you and the Fender team are doing. Thanks for being here. Well, thanks so much for having me. Tell me a little bit about your professional experience to kind of set the stage. Who is Ed McGee? Sure. Uh, originally from Lafayette, Louisiana, shook the crawfish out of my boots at 17, <laughs> uh, went up to the Naval Academy, uh, spent 15 years in the Marines, mm. uh, and uh, had a wonderful opportunity to fly the A-6 and the F-18. Uh, got out, went to business school at Duke University. I uh, had two wonderful years in uh, Durham, North Carolina, and then I spent the next decade working in manufacturing at Harley-Davidson. So uh, primarily in uh, factory operations, uh, love that's where I really fell in love with factories and uh, and culture, quite honestly. I uh, spent three years at ABB in Memphis, and then I got the call from Fender. I've been at Fender since uh, 2016, and it's uh, the best job I've ever had. It's uh, really tr- truly an amazing company at amazing time. I've got a great boss, and it's, uh, it, it's all the things that a student of culture and leadership uh, wants. And uh, it, it's been a great ride at Fender uh, over the past five years. Uh, that's awesome. Well, first of all, thank you for your service to the country. Um, I definitely want to talk to you about culture. Let's start with the culture at Fender. Tell me about it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I mentioned I'm a bit of a student of leadership development and, and, and culture. And uh, what I always like to do is start the conversation off with a little bit of context. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we've got this thing called Fender Leadership Academy and a great program. And I teach a class called Leading Through Change. And we, we spend a little time talking about culture and the Culture iceberg is the is the kind of framework that we use. And basically, uh, there's a book by Edgar Schein uh, called Organizational Leadership, and it's 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 really the standard on culture. And it breaks culture down into three elements: the things that you see, the symbols, mm-hmm. the things that organizations say; those are the espoused values, and then how people behave; those are the mm-hmm. underlying values. So, really, when we start talking about culture. 
culture is the alignment of the you know the things that folks see, the things that the organization says, and then how people behave. And then ultimately, you know, leaders are creators of culture. So uh, it, it all kind of fits in and makes for an interesting and fun discussion. So uh, what do you see when you walk into the, uh, you know, walk into the offices or the factory? And I think it's easily described as just the love of the artist and the love of music. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see instruments everywhere. You see folks playing generally. You hear music going on. And uh, I mean, it, it's just a really fun environment to be in, whether it's the office or the factory. And uh, I mean, what what really comes out is just our employees and our love of music, uh, and it's it it makes it really interesting. Uh, what are the things that people say? I mean, all day long, I, you know, I came out of uh, a little bit of an automotive manufacturing background, and guitar manufacturing can get really technical really quickly. And uh, you know, that was my first two years really learning and understanding all aspects of guitar building and the you know the pieces and parts and. Um, what's amazing at Fender too is not, we don't just manufacture instruments and amps, but we also have a digital team and we're working on the Fender play app. So mm-hmm. at any given time, you're going to be hearing, you know, a technical conversation about, you know, some aspect of learning how to play the guitar and how that translates into the tools that artists and, and consumers use, you know, to, uh, to, to play and learn on instruments. So, um, you know, that, it gets very interesting and very technical, but, you know, just the alignment with the culture, I think what's also super, super interesting is uh, when you look at the mission and vision of our company, uh, it's really interesting. Our vision actually came from Leo Fender. So mm-hmm. the way the story is told is uh, Phyllis Fender, Leo's wife, uh, had a meeting with Andy early on in his tenure at CEO. And uh, what, uh, what, what she conveyed was a story that Leo told her that, uh, you know, in one of his more reflective moments, he felt that artists were angels and his job was to give them wings to fly. Oh, that's cool. And Andy, <laughs> Andy gets this little nugget from, uh, from Phyllis Fender. And it was like, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I can wake up excited about going to work every day, knowing that that is the, you know, the, the vision of the company. And as we have progressed over the past five years, the mission is to fill the world with angels. Hmm. So if you look at our work with the Fender Play Foundation, with our new player strategies, with our investments in, you know, just developing new artists and new creators, you know, artists are angels. Our job is to give them wings to fly. And then we want to fill the world with angels. I mean, I again, I can't think of a better thing to get excited about both in terms of culture and a great place to work, uh, you know, in terms of our mission and, uh, and, and our, and our vision. Um, and then how do, you know, how do people behave? I, I think that's the, you know, what is wonderful is we are a music culture. We, mm-hmm. uh, you know, folks are constantly heading out to concerts. You know, we, we just did our NPI call a little bit earlier and, uh, which is new product introduction call. So we're looking at a new, uh, new set of products that we're, we're about to launch and we start the presentation off with one of the historical players of that particular instrument. So it, it's always connecting back to the artist and the instrument and the music. And, um, and, and folks are really, really committed to being students of the craft and, um, and just, you know, great lovers of music, all things music. Yeah. It seems to me, you know, like from a culture perspective, on one hand, it seems like working for a company like Fender 
culture must be easy, right? You know, you probably have people come into the industry that are passionate, that love it. You know, you, you, you got guitars hanging up behind you. You've got a fun product, you know, like compared to some other industries, it might seem like that is a slam dunk as it comes to culture. But I, and then on, on the other hand, I think you know, there has to be, it has to be genuine though, even more so than in other industries. If, if the employees that are passionate about music and are probably artists themselves sense that with leadership, it's, there's not that genuine passion or that commitment to culture, it could all fall apart. Right. So it's probably even more important that the culture is very intentional and is very strategic almost in how you, how you communicate, how you set up what you, what you just said, what you, what you see, how you encourage people to talk, um, and, and how you move your business forward. So it's such a cool, it's such a cool, um, platform to talk about culture and your perspective on the operational side, being in the factory, you know, that's really interesting too. We've seen at other companies that there's an office culture and then there's a different culture that exists on the factory floor. How do you bridge those at Fender? Is it the same? Have you been able to successfully achieve that great place to work in that Fender culture across the entire organization? Sure. I mean, great question. And, and just a couple of thoughts. One is, um, you know, we, we, we call the factory and all of our, the dream factory, right? Oh, cool. It is, um, it, it's, it's, it's fascinating. And, you know, again, I've come out of automotive and, you know, you, you typically stamp metal and it's, you know, it, it's, it's a very clean process. What is interesting about the manufacturing of guitars is you're literally nurturing a tree, you know, mm -hmm. wood from a tree and you're taking it, you know, slowly and gently through this process of becoming a musical instrument. And, uh, you know, one of the very early lessons that I, you know, I heard from one of my mentors is you have to respect the wood and you have to cut with precision. So mm -hmm. if you walk through our factories, uh, what you see is wood going through the process, but there's a lot of craftsmanship in addition to all the technical aspects of manufacturing. And I think that's the thing that makes, you know, our factory so fascinating is it's this balance of modern manufacturing techniques, but also we don't create objects. Mm -hmm. create musical instruments mm -hmm. and, you know, it, just watching the wood go through the process in the mill. And then, you know, our, our paint jobs are in, incredible. There's an incredible amount of engineering and work that goes into the, uh, you know, the, the cosmetic quality of our paint jobs. And then even when we're done assembling the instrument, we, we call it, you know, it, it's that final 3%. So in that last 3%, it goes from a manufactured object to a musical instrument. You have to work on things like intonation and setup and all of these things that make the instruments very, very playable for our artists. So uh, it is, it's a fascinating process. And, you know, ha having worked in factories, you know, a big chunk of my life, it's a very happy factory. <laughs> so I, I think, you know, you talked about the benefit of the culture and how people are connected to the instruments and where they're going and the artists who play them. That's really transmitted through the factory. And what we try and do is we, we get artists to come to the factories as much as we can. Oh, that's cool. And we have one of our artists like La Santa Cecilia and, uh, you know, John five was in the factory last week and they walk through and it's just a love fest, right? <laughs> the employees are excited to see some of their favorite artists walking through the factory. The artists get to see the craftsmanship and the hands that touch and mold and, you know, and, and move that instrument, that piece of wood through the, through the manufacturing process. So it's really, really fun now that, and, and you pointed this out earlier, that doesn't mean that we do everything perfectly. And I, and mm -hmm. I think just some of the lessons around culture. So one of the things that I, I've, I've taken to the factories is, and I've noticed this in a lot of factories that I've been in, you know, the, the visitor entrance 
where the salaried employees come in is typically, you know, it's very nice. It's set up, you know, it's office plant, you know, it's got, but the entrance where the employees come in is, I mean, I've, I've seen them look like, you know, on a good day, uh, like a drab high school cafeteria, right? It's, it's just, it's nothing exciting. And what I have always done is, you know, really conveyed to my leadership teams, you have to respect the employee from the time that they hit the parking lot to the time that they hit their workstation. So if you walk into our factory where, where the employee entrance is, you pop in, see the security guard, and then it's well lit. It's fender red everywhere. You see our history on the wall. You look at the other end of the hallway, there's a picture of Leo Fender. I mean, we really took time to make sure that when our employees walk into the factory, they feel respected. Mm. And if you spend any time in manufacturing, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a people business. Mm -hmm. And if we take care of our employees, they take care of us. And we want to make sure in all of our factories at Fender, that experience that employees have right when they cross the threshold of the factory, they're feeling the love, they're feeling the connection to their history. And I mean, I think that's where culture starts is what mm. are you communicating to your employees from the moment that they walk into the door? Mm. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. You, do, you mentioned a, a number of aspects of the brand, the, the Fender brand. In fact, I'm not much of a musician myself, but I do remember as a kid getting a Stratocaster and feeling like that was cool. You know, like there's a rich history with the Fender name and the Fender brand. How do you leverage that brand and that history to kind of contribute to that employee experience? Yeah. So, I mean, we do cool things like band jams. So, um, and, and, and again, the pandemic made this very challenging over the last couple of years and we're just starting to get back into events again, but we, uh, we do an event called band jam and at our Hollywood location, Scottsdale, Ensenada, Corona. Uh, and what we do is have an evening. It's, it's a afternoon that turns into an evening of all employee bands. Mm, cool. And, it is, I think, just one of the more solid cultural foundational things that makes Fender an interesting place to work and just brings together all of those elements of culture and history and musicianship and celebration of the artist and, you know, and, and watching the employee bands come to it because it's an exciting event. And mm -hmm. each one kind of has its own culture. You know, the, the, the Hollywood one is a little bit more like, you know, folks are checking your guitar techniques out. You know, uh, I, I think some of our best musicians, we've got some amazing musicians in our Scottsdale office. I personally love our, you know, our Corona and our Ensenada band jams, our factory band jams, because the factory employees get to, you know, get to show their stuff. And what you see is all genres of music. Mm. Uh, you know, I'll say for our Corona factory, the dancing starts about 930. So they love a little <laughs> bit of cumbia. And I mean, it's just seeing the culture of the factories and the culture of our employees and just the musicianship. It's a fun event. The Corona one tends to be very family oriented. Mm. So a lot of folks bring their kids. We've got time. I mean, it's, it's, they are very, they are just days where all of the elements of our culture come together. And I think mm. it's really, really exciting. We do them about once a quarter uh, across all of our factories. That's cool. Yeah, you talked about um, the pandemic, and I, I'm pretty much we started this 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 podcast two years ago, right as the pandemic was starting. And so, on almost every episode, we've talked about change and challenge to some level. Um, it's clear that we all learned a lot 
over the last two years, and we all adapted in some way. What are some of the ways that Fender's kind of taken the adversity we've faced throughout the pandemic and turned it into a learning opportunity or a catalyst for positive change? Yeah, so a uh, great question. Um, you know, for, I think at one element, we, we've got this um, this element of our culture where we're a 75-year-old manufacturing company, but we're also a startup. Mm. Right, so we've got the digital team. I mean, there's a there's a real startup mentality that even and and we can talk about it a little later, but even applies to the way that we introduce new products. But mm. I think having the kind of rich manufacturing history, but also the startup hustle, those two things kind of came together when we hit the pandemic, and a lot of the investments that we had made, you know, since Andy Mooney arrived, quite honestly and building connecting tissue between all of the different functional areas of the organization that came into play. Mm. What, what does that mean? So we, um, you know, early on, we just took the position that we're going to make decisions about our employee first. And I call them the ands, the stack up of ands. We want to run and manage the business, but we also want to make sure that we take care of the safety of our employees. And what we did was, you know, and, and language is, is a critical aspect of the way that we talk about leadership. So we kind of swapped it around and we said, hey, look, we're going to take care of our employees and manage the business. So we're mm-hmm. conscious of our language. And I'll say this, over the course of the pan- pandemic, I partnered with our head of HR, uh, Jim Lambert, and we always tried to stay a couple. We called it. How do we stay a couple heads ahead? A couple of steps ahead of the bull. Mm-hmm. So we mandated masks before the rest of the country was doing it. We got in factory testing before. I mean, we we just always tried to be one or two steps ahead. And even with vaccinations, uh, when the U.S. donated uh, a million va- vaccines to Mexico, we were able to get our factory vaccinated at ninety-seven percent in Mexico. Wow. You know, so so. I, by putting our employees first, the safety of our employees first, and I will say this over the course of the pandemic, there was not one single time where Jim and I asked a request of the executive team, uh, you know, of, of my boss, as it relates to the safety of our employees, and the answer wasn't an immediate yes, go do it. Mm-hmm. You know, so that over and over and over again, what that did was it just built built a sense of connectivity of mm-hmm. our employees, and it let them know that we cared about them. And I, I think in a lot of cases, you know, that you go back to the culture, what they see, what you say, and then how people behave. What they saw from the company, from leadership, was we're putting their safety first. Mm-hmm. We're making these investments. And, you know, when you go down to the factories today, I mean, there's a real sense of community and family. We call it the Fender family. Uh, but that really manifests itself in how our employees felt post-pandemic because they knew that we put their safety first. Mm-hmm. And they saw it and there was a physical manifestation of it, you know, through the pandemic and the results spoke for themselves. So in two factories with almost 3000 folks, we didn't have a single in factory transmission of COVID. Wow. Because we really, really, really leaned into it with our employees. So, I, you know, I, the lesson was take care of your people and they take care of you. That, that's an old lesson. The way that we went about doing it, really the teamwork, the, um, you know, the sense of collaboration that we built up prior to, I think that helped out. And, you know, we just executed over and over and over trying to stay two steps ahead of that bow. That's awesome. And congratulations on that success. That's remarkable. Um, you know, I, 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 in our business, which is more often on the, on the, uh, the office side, you know, mm-hmm. we, we build out workspaces. There's been a lot of conversation around 
the remote versus in-person mm. nature of work and what does the future look like? What is the, the hybrid model and how can it be successful? It seems to me that your industry is one that would thrive on being together, you know, mm. creating music together. Uh, you, you, your, your team in particular creating the musical instruments together. So tell me a little bit about how important is in-person and relationships at Fender? Yeah, I, I, wonderful question. And I'd say we're, we're still figuring it out right now as we exit mm-hmm. the pandemic. Mm-hmm. You know, I, if you if you talked about the office culture, I'll, I'll speak about the office first because, um, you know, we it was fun coming to the office. I mean, it was really, really fun because at any point in time, you'd walk out your door and you'd hear an instrument playing, mm-hmm. you know, you walk around and there's a couple of folks, you know, just noodling away at guitars. It, it just invited interaction. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a really, really important aspect of the culture and the office culture. And, you know, quite honestly, our, our product development team is, uh, is, is in the uh, building next to us and you'd go down and you'd hear somebody shredding, you, you know, I mean, it, it was a really it was an office that was con- very much conducive to exactly what you're conveying. Just swinging by, drive-bys, you know, stop in, pop in. And there was a lot of communication that was going on. And what, uh, what I'm, I, I'm on the uh, board of trustees for the business school at Duke University. And the dean of the business school said uh, it was an interesting discussion at the start of pandemic. And what he conveyed was, you know, first of all, human beings, human beings are built for connection. Mm-hmm. Right? So it, it was an interesting two years because the factories had connection through the pandemic. So they were mm. physically connected and there was just a tightness and a togetherness that came out of the, you know, the, the, the being together, the offices on the other hand, um, you know, they, they kind of had the, you know, transition into the zoom all day long. Yep. And what the Dean conveyed was organizations that kind of had built up equity in their culture banks they were able to thrive on that equity during the course of the pandemic. And as we transition out, we've got to be very purposeful and intentional in what we think about our culture and how we work towards building those connections back again. Mm -hmm. And the nature of office work is going to change. It is Mm -hmm. going to change for all the naysayers who said, Oh, this working from home thing is, you know, is, is, is not, it's real. Mm-hmm. And we, 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 you know, we've grown our business at 30% two consecutive years, 30 plus percent over two consecutive years. And we've been able to manage, but now we've got to really think about intentionality and purpose in our culture. And how do we bring people back for, you know, and, and our, our, our head of HR says the work should define, you know, the office plan, your strategy for your people. And some of the teams have already started to come back and they have like, you know, strat planning sessions or, or sessions where it's, inc- you know, it's really, really important for folks to get together. Uh, so we're kind of letting the work define it right now. That's mm-hmm. part one. And then part two is our mindset. And this goes back to our startup mindset is everything is an experiment. So we've talked to our employees. It's not, hey, we're going to come back to the office on this day, but we're just going to run these series of experiments and figure out how to find that right balance. What sure. we know is that we don't know right now, mm-hmm. right? But Why what we want to do is, yeah, what we, what we want to do is work with our employees to make sure that we solicit feedback, we engage them, and we, you know, we, we do a series of small experiments to figure out the best way to manage our employees and manage the business. Sounds like you were successful throughout the pandemic at um, forward thinking 
and getting out ahead of some of the, uh, the, the solutions or the procedures that would keep your employees safe and to continue that, that feeling of trust and family and protecting those that were on your team. As you look ahead to this year, you know, that hopefully we're emerging from the pandemic. What are some of the challenges that you are planning for or that you foresee as being relevant? You know, I think all of us are contemplating and spending time just talking about the, you know, just the relevance of work and how the pandemic may have changed perceptions, mm-hmm. you know, and, and Fender benefited from the fact that folks were at home and they had a little extra time and they wanted to invest in skills and they wanted to invest in learning. And, uh, you know, I think some of the topics that we're talking about right now is things like burnout, right? Are especially for our office folks where you just sit in the zoom all day long and, you know, you launch into the zoom machine at, you know, seven 30, eight o'clock in the morning. And then it ejects you at the end of the day. Um, what we're trying to do is really create space with our employees and have conversations beyond just the normal, Hey, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, our, our VP of, uh, of comms and, and public relations was actually in the office yesterday. And we were just talking, we were talking about, you know, just having those office drive-bys, I mean, they really help from a cultural standpoint. They help from a connectivity standpoint. They help from a relevance and just connection to mission and vision and, and you know, and, and all the great things that we do. And what we're trying to figure out now is what is the right balance? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're in LA in Los Angeles. So, you know, tap on an hour commute each way, you know, generally to, uh, you know, to your day. And I think we've got to find the right balance where we can provide relevant work to our folks. We can make sure that the uh, we, we've got an intentional culture and we've got intentionality in the way that we bring people back from, you know, the, the, the great pandemic. And um, I, I think what's exciting for me is we're just going to create that space, do the small experiments and, and, and try and figure it out. But it's, it's going to be challenging. I'd say we need to make sure that we do it with our employees, not yeah. to our employees. Yep. Yeah, I completely agree. Communication's key. Understanding that you don't know everything, that it's an experiment. Having that entrepreneurial mindset, I think you you got and you've got the strong culture that has kind of kept continued throughout the pandemic. Even though yours was a, 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 an industry that experienced growth, um, I think that that's so relevant still. So, um, interested to continue the conversation outside of this podcast to see how things go for you as you navigate yeah. the path over the next few months. But um, I want to change topics a little bit. Um, in addition to hybrid, to flexibility, to, you know, battling burnout, to culture, a lot of these are really top top of mind themes for people leaders and business leaders uh, that we're talking to today. So is diversity. Uh, hmm. DE&I, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, we've never seen more of that conversation th- that to, than we do today. In fact, I think I saw a 658% increase in, in DEI conversations since 20, uh, um, 2018 or something like that in, 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 in senior leader conversations. Talk to me a little bit about diversity. Is it important at Fender? Is it, uh, is it kind of a, a core value? And, and, and is it, is it a, I don't want to say fad, but is it, is it a hot topic now that's going to fade off a little bit, you know, once, once, um, it, once the, maybe the, uh, the great resignation <laughs> is behind us, or is it something that is really, really important and that helps to make a better team and a better business overall? Sure. So I, you know, I, I think 
I'll start off with the end in mind, and that is you got to focus on your customers, right? So mm-hmm. if, if we take that thinking and, uh, um, you know, just apply it to diversity, my, my personal concept is diversity is the great and, mm. right? And and I think when it, 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 your mindset, when you look and talk about diversity is absolutely critical, because if you view diversity as a zero sum game, then that's not, that's not a winning solution, right? Sure. So, Diversity is an and. You want the perspectives of your customers and you want the perspectives of your employees and you want to make sure that your business is reflecting the needs of your future customers. So one of the things that Andy Mooney and Evan Jones, our chief marketing officer, did um, uh, when they started at Fender was they did market research. So they went out into the market and uh, did a big research project and we learned some lessons in our first one and we learned some lessons in our second one that occurred, uh, I believe it was about four years later. So the first thing was 50% of our new customers were women. Mm. When we did the first, and everyone kind of went, whoa, it was a bit of a a surprise. And it shouldn't be though. It absolutely shouldn't be, but it was a surprise. Why is that? Most of our relationships were with retailers. And if you walk into a retail, you know, guitar, it, it can be a little bit intimidating at times. So women were typically buying acoustic guitars and they were typically not going to retail outlets to buy it. They bought it online because it was intimidating. So mm-hmm. we, we, we didn't have visibility that we learned that through the market research. So that was one of the big ahas. And Andy has been very mindful and very purposeful about making sure that his executive team reflects the diversity of our customers, right? So mm-hmm. that that had been core to Fender before all of the, you know, the social unjust and some of the challenges that we faced in the in the 20s. So that we were already building upon that foundation. When we did our subsequent study, what we found was almost 40% of our new customers identified as Latinx. Another 16% African-American. So when you start talking about 50% of your customers are, you know, people of color, you've got, that's a relevant thing that you've got to really figure out how to cycle back into the business. Mm-hmm. And post-murder of George Floyd, we kicked off employee research, uh, resource groups, or, um, employee resource groups, ESGs. So the important thing there was all of these issues that exist outside of the business, our employees go home to deal with them. So what we wanted to do was make sure that in building that connection and that culture with our employees and the work that they do and our future customers, we wanted to make sure that we could have conversations about these things in a way that made employees feel welcome to come into work, in ways that we could get those perspectives into the leadership teams. And uh, and and it has probably been one of the things that I'm most proud of. I lead our African-American employee resource, uh, resource group, and we have fun conversations about culture. We have you know, tough conversations about what are the, you know, relevant topics that are going on right now. And I think the the most important thing from a diversity standpoint is just the leadership lessons of creating environments where employees can have tough conversations and really contribute their whole selves and their perspectives into the work. And it's really reflective of our future customers, mm-hmm. our current and future customers. And when organizations, you know, don't view that as a fad if, when organizations really take that seriously and, and make authentic efforts to, you know, to, to, to that end, it's for great, you're doing it for great business. The big mm-hmm. and is if you don't understand your customers and you don't understand your future customers, then when they stop knocking on your door, you know, that that's not the time to figure them out. Mm-hmm. So I, I think for me personally, professionally, uh, you know, the last two years and the work that our HR team has done creating, you know, an environment where we can bring, you know, Latin culture 
into the conversation. And it's been fascinating. Our, our Latin, uh, res- Latin employee resource group, uh, they brought artists in, you know, they talk about the history of, uh, you know, of, of the guitar and Latin music. And it's one of the fastest growing mu- music segments in the, in the country right now, or in the world right now, quite honestly. So those are relevant conversations to the business. Those are relevant conversations for leaders who want to engage our employees. And they're certainly relevant conversations for our employees who live and deal and swim in all of this, you know, this madness uh, at work and when they go home. So it, it's built a really, really strong sense of connection to Fender and a real strong sense of connection to our employees. It's awesome. Yeah. So you're saying don't focus on a diversity because it might be a hot buzzword right now or because it's important to somebody else. Focus on it because of the impact it will have on your people, on your customers, and on your business, because those are tangible impacts and those are really what matters most. And so, and so focus in when you're thinking about DEI, focus in on its impact in those places. And that's really the great and that's it. That's a great way of summarizing it. Yes. Great, great, uh, great advice there. Tell me, um, uh, a little bit more about the, uh, the Fender Play Foundation. Sure. So, um, one of the areas that I'm really incredibly proud of uh, in the work that we've done in the past couple of years is the work around the foundation. So the mission of the foundation is to equip, educate, and inspire the next generation of creator. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we, we kind of kicked off our work uh, with the pandemic probably two and a half years ago, or excuse me, with, uh, with the foundation uh, about two and a half years ago. Uh, and then the pandemic happened, right? So we're getting started. We were, you know, and it, we ended up getting a call from the superintendent of LA Unified School District, Austin Butner, in March of 2020. Mm-hmm. And he said, uh, you know, he, he called and said, "Hey, look, we're we're going to be going 100% virtual. We're we know that summer school is going to be all virtual. Would you guys mind doing a guitar program for us?" Uh, so, you know, we'll cover reading and writing. You know, reading, writing, and arithmetic, but we want to have programs that, you know, just get kids excited about learning. And we need to figure out all this online stuff, right? So summer school was a great chance to experiment, back to that experiment comment. And uh, again, you know, I got to give Andy Mooney, our CEO, a lot of credit here. It was just like immediately, yes. We didn't ask any questions. We just said yes. And Evan um, Jones and I went back to the superintendent and said, all right, so this is a pilot. So what are you thinking? Like two or 300 instruments? And he goes, how about a thousand? So keep in mind, LA Unified is the second largest public school uh, district in the country, you know, over 600,000 kids, uh, you know, $9 billion budgets, over 66,000 teachers and administrators. It's big and scalable. So Mm -hmm. he said a thousand. Now, from a business standpoint, you know, pandemic hits, everyone's like, oh, oh my goodness, maybe we need to shrink. And then everyone started picking up guitar. We gave away Fender Play for free during the pandemic and I picked up almost a million followers Wow! Who wanted to learn to play. So all of a sudden our demand starts cranking up. And this is right about the time the superintendent said, I need a thousand guitars. <laughs> we ended up, I, I ended up flying guitars back from our European warehouse. I spent about $25,000 on getting instruments back so we could support that first summer program. And the kids uh, had a choice of acoustic guitars, electric guitars, electric basses, and ukuleles. Wow. And that first summer program was an amazing success. We partnered with the teachers. So we had a small group of teachers helping us develop the curriculum. And I mean, I think the word that describes what happened from that point, it was just partnership. It was 
everyone's committed to creating an, an educational experience for the kids that make them want to continue playing, get them excited about learning. And once a kid wakes up excited to learn, you can teach them anything. And the, the, the feedback that we've gotten from the administration, from the staff, you know, that summer program, you know, great success. It was an enrichment program. And we've continued that enrichment program so much so that in the fall, or actually this past uh, uh, February, uh, we're almost at 10,000 kids. Wow. And I think what is amazing is there's um, a Mark Ronson special. Uh, I, I think it's a Netflix special, but he talks about in 1975, New York City cut off all funding to music and arts in uh, public schools. And five years later, hip hop was born. Hmm. So we're going to do the exact opposite. You know, pandemic hits. What we want to see is, you know, tens of thousands of kids receiving an instrument in their home, access to music education from a you know, certified LA Unified teacher, access to the friend to play app. What are they going to create? And you think about the pandemic and all the challenges and all the things that kids have processed. What better avenue to process all of the, you know, the stuff on the inside out and turn it into the gift of music? Mm. We feel that there's going to be some amazing art that gets created. There will be lives that are impacted. And quite honestly, for the 2.6 million jobs in the creative economy in California, here's our future workforce having access to music and inspiration and, and instruments. So cool. Is that app available to any child or do you have to be affiliated with a, a school district that's participating? So all of the kids who take the program have access to the app. And mm -hmm. what we're working on right now from a foundation standpoint is expansion of our program. Cool. So, um, you know, we're looking at a couple of different cities, obviously Miami for Latin music, you know, big center for Latin music. Nashville's got an incredible, you know, community of, of, of artists. At, that would be a great location, New York City, obviously, and, and, and even London. So we're looking at expansion right now. Cool. Well, let me know when you head to Chicago. I've got a five-year-old that's interested <laughs> nice. in a ukulele. So um, this, has been, this has been awesome, Ed. I, I like to kind of end the conversation with some questions I ask every guest, and they're a little bit more personal. Uh, the first is, if you are retiring today, what's some... Words of wisdom that you'd leave to your predecessor or to anyone that you might be mentoring? Yeah, I think in terms of your career, you you want to find a you know a job where you learn something from your boss every day. I, I think for me, that has been one of the things that as as I trace my career, um, you know, it really defined where I hung out for the longest period of time, first and foremost. But, but I think it's, you know, it's, it's the lens of how we view work, but it's also the mirror, right? Mm -hmm. So I want to work for a boss who cares about me, who I learn something from every day, and I have that. And then I need to be that boss to the folks who work for me. So, you know, I, it, it, it's important to make sure that your folks are learning. And I, I think that's super, super critical as we look at, uh, you know, the relevance of work coming out of the great resignation and everything else, people leave because of their boss and they stay because of their boss. So be a great boss. So cool. And then how about a resource that's been valuable to you throughout your career that you could recommend? Yeah, I, I, th there's a couple of them. I, I think, um, you know, there's a great book called Switch by the uh, um, Heath Brothers. Uh, 
Led to others. Yeah, the book's called Switch, and it talks about leading through change. Uh, I think it's a phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal book. Um, I I would say, like, uh, you know, I I went to Duke University, the ability to tap back into some of my, you know, my, Mm -hmm. my instructors and some of the resources at school have been enormously, enormously helpful. And I'll give you an example. At the beginning of the pandemic, we were trying to figure out the best way to do uh, you know, just sample testing for our employees. And I, I reached back out to my network and immediately they put me in touch with folks and we've got, you know, really, really relevant, great data. And, you know, it's just use your, use your networks to your advantage because don't wait until the crises, mm-hmm. uh, you know, dig in, create those relationships because at some point, you know, some crazy event is going to give you a reason to call folks. And uh, um, I, I think my network has been an amazing resource throughout, you know, th- throughout the challenges of the past few years. Very cool. Well, I, from flying planes to building and riding motorcycles to now the music industry, you are an inspiring person yourself. Add in everything that's going on at Fender, and this is this is awesome content. So inspiring, perfect for the listeners of this show. I can't thank you enough for your time and for uh, your insight today. Well, thank you. And I appreciate it. And uh, whenever, whenever your kid needs that guitar, you now know a guy. So reach out. (laughs) I will. I will. (laughs) Thank you so much. This has been awesome. Thanks, George. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation, please take a moment to rate our show. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the Work Inspired podcast so that you don't miss any of the incredible guests we have planned for upcoming episodes. We'll continue to find the best and brightest minds in business so that you can learn, grow, and succeed, and so that we can all work inspired. Work Inspired is brought to you by BOS, a leader in commercial working environments and a Hayworth best-in-class dealership. Experience our 360 approach and discover the team, tools, and techniques required to navigate the complexity of your next workspace at BOS.com. If you have ideas, feedback, or would like to be featured on our show, please email podcast at BOS.com. Thank you for listening. This has been a Workspace Digital production. If you're interested in launching a podcast at your organization, please email info at workspace.digital for a free consultation.